right. Well, good morning again, everyone. Hope that your week has gone well, that you've enjoyed three-ish of the seasons that we experience in a normal year. <laughs> Hopefully, finally going to get some stable weather in the forecast for this week. Um, but you know, I know in Ohio, they got four inches of snow this week. So maybe we should be grateful for what we get sometimes. You know, but this week has, it's been hard to find areas of gratefulness when we look at all the things going around us in the nation. Uh, there's a lot of turmoil going around. There's a lot of tension dealing with race relations, policing, misleading news headlines, celebrity influencers, all seeking to get us to think in a certain way so that mobs can rule. And, you know, we worship a God that has authority, that has power, as we've been talking about the last few weeks. Someone that promotes unity, not division. You know, we continue to look at this week and the leadership surrounding it, and you could be left with some doubts. You could be wondering what's going to happen next. You know, as a leader, I am well aware of the fact that many times those that you lead will reflect your attitude, your behaviors. And that can be a scary thing at times. Parents, maybe you've had a little mini miniature version of yourself walking around. Maybe as a child you were called, you're just like your father, you're just like your mother. You know, kids watch what we do. They mimic our behaviors and attitudes as we lead them. And many times again, that can be scary. You know, in the position that I'm in, I understand the weight that I have as you try to handle the Word of God appropriately, um, realizing that, you know, you have an audience of one, but you have influence and impact on many, and, and how you lead effectively as you watch how God works through you as you serve in different ministries. And it's amazing to see, since I've been on this journey in more of a full-time role um, it's only been 10, 11 years, but it's been awesome to see how God has worked through me, how God has shown up in people's lives in miraculous ways, you know, but it doesn't come out with, without its scariness, without its difficulties. You know, as you, as I walk through the mess of life, through grieving, through other things, the Lord has put the burden on my heart to be able to walk through others, alongside of them, through their messes. And in every ministry I'm in, ministry is messy. Life is messy. And it's difficult. But you're able as a leader to walk through that because our hope is in Christ. You know, God has given us each other to be unified, to build each other up, to encourage each other um, as we grow closer to the Lord. And that's something that I'm grateful for each week as I come here, each week as we come together to worship, that even in the middle of a chaotic nation and a chaotic week, I still have hope because my hope is found in something secure. And we're able to come together to celebrate that and point each other to the Lord each week. Today, I want to discuss a little bit more in detail, some of those messes in life, some of those pitfalls maybe that we can fall into when it comes to our attitudes and behaviors and kind of weigh those against the nature of God. 
It's going to be some areas that we might struggle with. And as I open today, I just want to ask the question, how often do we try to make ourselves look good? You know, do we put on a tie and put on our Sunday best and try to, to look good? You know, do we try to um, put ourselves in a favorable light when we're around others? You know, sometimes we want others to perceive us in a particular way. Sometimes it just happens, and naturally, people will encourage you and lift you up, and we love those types of people. I don't know that I have the gift of encouragement that way. I'm, I have more of a critical heart at times. Just ask my kids. But, you know, many times we'll also go fishing for compliments. We'll try to seek attention in a certain way so that they will respond back to us to give us some praise. You know, this type of behavior, we see it all over social media. We see it through our teenage years, those that, you know, as we grew up without social media, you go through that in your teenage years. Now, with social media, it just continues into your adulthood even further. Where we want that attention, we want that praise, we want to feel good about ourselves, and we seek it in many different places. Men, I'm a little doubtful that as you were pursuing your wife, your line to her was, I'm not here to impress anybody. Unless she pursued you, I guess. But I'm sure that you did something to get her attention. It could have been a simple hello. Sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes boys will do crazy things to get a girl to notice them. I used to push Elaine into the pool when we were working together. It was a very third grade tactic. But after she cooled off a bit from being in the pool, I guess it worked. Now she did get me back and I had everything that was coming to me for sure. But you know, we crave attention, whether it's positive or negative. And it's funny, because we kind of talked about this last night in terms of how people are designed for relationship. And that's part of ingrained of who we are. But many times we have this selfish desire that overtakes in that. No matter how crucial that is, we have to understand where we're getting the source from of that attention. We try to manipulate how people see us. You know, we want it to be seen, Primarily in a certain light, but I mean, negative attention is still attention. So we'll act out or we'll do things wrong just because we're craving that relationship. Today in our passage, we're going to get into some of this attention that happens in a negative way. Where people don't learn to keep their mouth closed and instead gain the attention of Jesus. Now, you know, we'll see how they're going to be corrected and they have a choice to either go double down and go further into their anger, further into that type of lifestyle and behavior, or respond to what Jesus is saying and rise above that, rise above themselves to listen to his words. So if you have your Bibles, join me in Luke 20, and we're going to begin in verse 39 today.
Verse 39, then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' estate or houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, than all of them, for they have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Father, as we come to you this morning, I just ask that you would help us to Search our hearts in your truth. Help us to live some of these things out better in our lives. Pray for your spirit's conviction uh, and that your word would move us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, I started in verse 39, kind of our previous passage that we went over last week, uh, just to kind of give us a little bit more of the context a bit to see how the scribes loved Jesus' answer. If you recall, he was addressing the Sadducees' question, um, and, and, you know, they're just kind of cheering him on a little bit. Jesus just kind of put them in their place, and he's like, all right, yeah, go Jesus, go get that. You answered right. You answered correctly. This is awesome. You know, it's kind of this attitude of the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing, you know? So they're kind of trying to pile on with what Jesus is saying, and the scribes, if you recall, they're, they're lawyers. They're ones that study the Old Testament. They're copying the Old Testament. They line up more with the Pharisees in a lot of their interpretations, but they are a separate designation in terms of leaders within the Israelites. They're mentioned by all uh, of the gospel writers, so they're a distinct group of people. And now Jesus has kind of turned his attention to them, and he goes on the offensive here. He asks a question of them. Um, dealing with their shortcomings, issues that they might have to address in their beliefs. Again, he just addressed this question of the Sadducees that they come to him asking about the resurrection. Now we go to the issue that the scribes are having. In this whole scenario, I see this kind of playing out similar to, uh, well, what happens with my children often. When I'm correcting one, the other three are behind me just grinning ear to ear. Yeah, get her, Dad. Get him, Dad. And then they chime in with something. And now my attention goes to the one who chimed in because obviously they need some correction as well. You know, when I look at that, that's, that's what I see. I mean, a practical life experience that's lived out almost daily in our house. You know, to where they're piling on. They're, they're wanting to, to just put their enemy down, kick them when they're down a little bit. And Jesus, he just bluntly asks, 
about this known belief that the Christ is David's son, meaning that the Christ would come from the line of David. Uh, He would be David's offspring. This would be a plain teaching, so plain that even a blind person could see it, right? Go back to Luke 18. That's how the blind person addresses Jesus, Jesus, son of David. You know, so this is a, a popular belief. This is something that would be known in this context. And you can almost feel this shift in the atmosphere when Jesus turns and goes on the offensive here. He's not responding to a question. He's now asking this question. And, and you know, when, when you're challenged with your beliefs, sometimes you freeze. Sometimes you're like, oh, oh I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, not, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. Sometimes you double down. You know, but when, you, when you're faced with this type of thing, there's a lot of different reactions that you can have. You know, and, and Jesus is has, asking this question here because they need growth in this area. They need better understanding of what it means to be the son of David. Um, you know, you look at what Jesus had done with the Sadducees, how he met them where they're at. He took them back to Moses. Now he's going to meet the, the Pharisees or the scribes where they're at. He's going to take them back to David. You know, the Sadducees, they stuck pretty close to the Torah in what they were studying. The scribes had all of the Old Testament. And he's going to address issues that they would need to understand. Um, Truth. It is the nature of God. And Jesus is going to bring this truth. He's constantly revealing more and more to the people God's truth, giving them this opportunity to hear it so that they might believe. So let's flip over to Psalm 110 this morning. Leave a little bookmark there in Luke. We'll be right back to it. I don't have this one on a slide because we're going to read the whole section here, not just the quote that Jesus has. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. You know, getting kind of the whole context of what David is uh, praying here, what he is praising God over. Very plainly, David calls the Messiah his Lord, Adonai. So he says, Yahweh says to Adonai, sit at my right hand. Now, being the Adonai is like being the master, like being the ruler, the benefactor, the owner. So, you know, Jesus, if we go back to Luke, Jesus is saying, why would David say to one of his descendants that you are my master, that you are my Lord? It wouldn't make sense. And what I love about this is there's no response and there's no explanation. Love those sections in the Bible. You know, why, why would Jesus do that? You know, it, it, 
really brings out that the point was understood. There wasn't a, a response that would be necessary. Jesus is drawing this logical conclusion that the, the Messiah must both be divine and human, a descendant from David. And it would be difficult for them to understand this, perhaps difficult for us as well. I mean, we've just kind of been told this since we were little, and we have a general understanding of the Trinity. But, you know, the Trinity and its theology wasn't developed until hundreds of years after Jesus. Even though you can still see things in the Old Testament that point to it, it wasn't fully understood until hundreds of years. It was a big sticking point in the early church where many people thought that it was blasphemous to say this because they have the understanding of the law. They have the understanding of the Shema, how the Lord our God is one, that there is one God. But Jesus was saying that the Christ, as God, is David's Lord. That Christ, as man, is David's son. Now this is picked up in Peter, or by Peter, in the book of Acts, chapter 2 where he says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. And I think it's more clearly in Revelation chapter 22, in verse 16, where he says, I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He is the root, uh, the divine part, the origin of David. Um, and then the descendant, the seed, and the offspring of David. Again, the conclusion of what Jesus is drawing out here is obvious. But most, more than likely than not, it would be unacceptable to the scribes and to the Pharisees. Because if they admitted that the Messiah was then divine, that he was God, they would have to then prove that Jesus was not God because he claimed to be the Messiah. Or they would have to submit to him, which they didn't want to do because that would usurp their authority, their power, their control. How about us? Do we act that same way in life when it comes to submitting to his authority? You know, we had this message a couple weeks ago, so you've had some time to think about it. How are you doing in terms of submitting to Christ's authority in your life? Is it something that you struggle with? Is it just, oh yeah, that was a good sermon, and then back on to the normal way of life? It's something that we need to assess each day. Because we constantly struggle with actually living it out. It's easy to say, but it's hard to actually live out. We need to see these types of similarities in the word when they come up and, and apply them to our own lives. You know, as I said recently, when I'm going through the, the gospel of Luke this time, I'm being shown more and more. Uh, reading this through the perspective of how my life kind of lines up maybe more with the Pharisees or the scribes. What areas do I need to grow in as a believer, as a follower of God? You know, being able to have the correct understanding. Because many times we can live our life in ways that are comfortable, ways that are convenient. 
Have you ever thought of your faith as just being convenient? That it's a good set of principles, I can probably get into heaven, so I'll just kind of show up in church and kind of fake it until I make it type of thing. You know, our faith is called to take action. We are called to do many things. And being comfortable isn't one of them. As we see here, again, there's not a response to what Jesus says. He doesn't explain what he says. And then he just goes into this next section. It says, in the hearing of everyone, excuse me, um, he talks to his disciples. And he is warning the disciples to not be like the scribes. You know, he had just talked a little bit about their doctrine um, and what they're believing and how that needs to be adjusted. And now he's going to be talking about the scribes' attitudes and behaviors, their practices, their actions. So it's going to be something that would be humbling to hear, I think, because it's within the hearing of everyone. Maybe they'll humble themselves. Maybe they'll just rile them up even more, and they'll double down on their anger. They'll harden themselves further against what he is saying. But, you know, when you face correction, when you face admonishment, the purpose should always be to draw the person back to the ways of the Lord. Anger is kind of a reaction that you would have due to selfishness, due to greed. You know, he tells the disciples to avoid three characteristics of the scribes. He tells them to avoid their pride, their greed, and their hypocrisy. Now, with what he wrote here, you can see how they loved attention. They loved respect. They loved honor. They wore long robes. They greeted everyone in the marketplaces. They loved sitting in places of honor at the feasts. They were prideful. Their position went to their head. Jesus is saying, be warned. Do not be like this. They were also greedy. They devoured the widows' estates, their homes. They took money from those who needed it more than they did. Be careful of what you're chasing after and the means in which you're trying to get those things. And they were hypocrites with their long prayers. You know, Jesus speaks a little bit more about this in Matthew 6 when he talks about those that are praying on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Do not be like them. They have this appearance of great piety, of great righteousness, of being holy. But in reality, they were selfish, greedy, and prideful. And their, their condemnation at judgment time would be great. You know, within this passage, I think of James. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 27, it talks about how true religion is taking care of the orphans and the widows. And here, these scribes are doing the opposite of that. And then James chapter 3, where it says, not many of you should become teachers um, because at judgment time, they're going to be judged harsher with greater strictness. Again, warnings given throughout Scripture that the standards of God need to be met. God requires holiness, and that's what we must be pursuing because he is holy. So again, within the hearing of everyone, Jesus is going in on these scribes here. And I got to ask, I mean, what would your reaction be if everything that you're doing is being called out against, as being wrong, 
You know, maybe you experience that in your life. Maybe you, are, you get criticized all the time and it's always negative. You know, I, I tend to parent that way. You know, I have expectations that don't always get communicated right. So whenever I'm correcting the kids, it's always something negative. You know, I have to work on being intentional about giving them praise, giving them the correct direction of the ways that they need to be going, allowing them to know that they're doing that, in improving that relation, satisfying that craving so that they're not looking for it in other ways or they're not doing it uh, ungodly ways to get that same type of attention. But you know, when we, when we look at criticism, when we look at those types of things, many times we try to avoid being criticized. You know, in, in our flesh, when we're criticized, many times maybe we just try to shrink back and hide and not face those types of things. We gain this, this fear. And when we relate that to things of ministry, many times that causes us to be inactive, apathetic, not getting involved, not speaking up, on different things because I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be criticized. I don't want to do things that would steer somebody away. But, you know, when you look at the early church and the structure of the church, they were there to support one another. You know, you, you read First uh, Corinthians 14, and it talks about how, you know, three people would get up, and they would give some prophecies, and then the others would sit there, and they would weigh the prophecy, and they would give feedback. You look at the structure and the order of the early church, and it's completely different from what we do. Instead, I just sit here and talk at you for, you know, however long that goes today. It was a completely different atmosphere. It was a completely different system of trust where you would trust your brothers and sisters to have their be your best interest in mind as they were sharing different things with you. You know, it's too easy to, just to sit still and to stay silent in church today, being comfortably ignorant from what God has called us to do. Sharing in public is difficult. Sharing our struggles. It creates another fear, public speaking. You know, I know at least half of us have a fear of just even standing up on the stage, having to say two words, in front of another person. But we need to understand better how to build each other up in the faith, to encourage growth with the understanding that none of us have arrived, that we're all still going through this together, and God has put us together to build up our faith as one body. You know, to get to the point where we have such a great love for one another that we're earnestly desiring to seek our brothers and sisters to grow in many different ways, encouraging them in their faith to be conformed by the Spirit. You know, if we're comfortable, if we're apathetic, we're not going to experience any of that growth. So maybe things need to get uncomfortable for us. And I understand hearing criticism is hard to hear. Because as you become a teacher, as you serve in different ministries, you know, you're not going to make everyone happy. There's always going to be complainers. There's always going to be grumblers around us. There's always going to be, be people that do not like your decisions as a leader. But we have an audience of one, and we serve him as he has gifted us. 
You know, one of the best um, books that I read ministry-wise when I was in seminary is entitled Well-Intentioned Dragons. And in it, it has a line, and it warns pastors, as you are shepherding the flock, always keep this in mind, the sheep bite. You know, and this week as I was preparing for this message, I went back and I tried to look at some updated statistics concerning pastors. Staggering. Some of them haven't changed. It's still one in ten pastors that go into full-time ministry will actually retire from ministry. One in ten. Seventy percent of pastors feel that they do not have a close friend that they can confide in. Sometimes as a pastor, it's like you're on an island, like you're alone. Even though you know you're not alone because you have the Father, but you still seek that attention. You still seek that relationship. But the dual nature of relationships is difficult. You know, everybody that serves in some form of ministry faces different hardships. But even though those statistics are kind of crazy, as pastors, we get to serve an awesome God, and we get to watch how God works through people. I have been called to walk through some of the hardest things I can imagine with people. And it's difficult to process, but at the same time, you get to see how God shows up in strong ways to comfort, to heal, to encourage, to show mercy, And you get to help walk alongside of people to see God work in miraculous ways. And through all the hardship, through all the trials, I wouldn't trade that for anything. You know, and and even as a pastor, when it comes to criticism and things like that, I have to have a humble heart. It's easy when you hear those things. You can can double down and be hard-hearted. You could be selfish. You could be greedy. Or you could be humble. And you could be open to the fact that everybody is still growing. You know, we all have to be softened and open to the God's leading in our life. And the warning that Jesus gives here, even if it's being spoken to the disciples, it is heard by everyone. It is heard by these scribes. And they would then have this opportunity to continue to be angry, to continue to be against Jesus, or to to humble themselves and follow him. You know, criticism is hard at times, but it can make us better, especially when it's spoken out of love for you and not from preference or greed or selfishness on the other person's part. But you know, where we can see it, that we're helping each other grow. That's my my goal for us as a body as we continue to grow closer to one another in different ways, to be able to speak into each other's lives in that form. Um, you know, for me, many times as I've heard criticism over the past, sometimes it just takes a few minutes and my heart's soft and I'm humble and we move on. But with other areas, my heart can be hardened, just like anybody else's. And I can resist how God is trying to teach me because maybe I want to sit in that anger. Maybe I want to sit in that pain. So it's being aware of my own patterns in life allows me to to realize what God is trying to teach me in those moments. And, you know, as I look at these types of situations, again, as I've been reading through Luke this time around, it's been a different perspective. And, you know, I got to think, and I was like, man, what if, what if we didn't treat this passage like it happened 2,000 years ago? 
and that it's just, you know, it's, it's a wonderful story, and it's great, and it was great for that context. What if we tra- treated it like it was right here? And Jesus was standing beside me, and he was warning all of you about me. What would he say? How would I respond? What if he was to do that for your life as well? You know, again, none of us have arrived. We always have ways that we can respond and grow in. And sometimes we need that kick in the pants that calls us out for what we're doing wrong, to call us back to the straight and narrow, to the truth of God. And this warning of the scribes, it's immediately followed by this contrast with the widow, right? He's contrasting their false piety um, of these rich scribes to the genuine reverence and charity of this poor widow here. And this is kind of a lesson on how our faith should influence our giving, our sacrificial giving. You know, charity to the poor, again, a main thing in religion, as was said in James. Um, And the fact that this already poor person wants to give what she has for others. Many times we look at the size of the gift. We don't look at the sacrifice behind the gift. And I really want to point out for us today the posture of Jesus. He looked up and he saw. Do we live our life in a way that thinks Jesus is looking at me? He sees what I'm doing. He sees me. Does he see how we contribute to the works of charity or giving? Is it with a cheerful heart or is it with reluctance? You know, you don't have to go into the other areas of your life now. You can, you can dwell on that throughout the week. But what are the teaching moments? What type of uh, attention are you drawing to yourself that Jesus is seeing? Do you live sacrificially in your life or is it with reluctance? Jesus emphasizing again with his phrase, I truly, truly I say to you, emphasizing that she has given more in this situation because of the sacrifice that it has taken to give. In the way that my mind works, I, I point to how, you know, what are you giving out of? Are you giving out of your abundance or are you giving out of your weaknesses? You know, I've been very forward um, with you as a pastor that when I preach as I'm a pastor, I don't come up here with words of eloquence or I'm not very entertaining. I don't have a strong leadership presence. I wrestle with fears of public speaking, just like many other people. But it's God working through those weaknesses as I submit to his authority, to his leading, uh, that has a heart that says, here I am, Lord, please send me. Because I've seen God show up in such strong ways that I don't, I don't want to give that up. Because God is he's awesome. He's amazing. And to watch how, you know, it might be 10 years in the making, but to watch how he is changing people's lives where I've planted a seed somewhere. It just gives you that victory, that win, like, all right, Lord, let's keep going. Let's go on for another one. Let's keep going with this. Because ministry life wants to, to drag you down at times. But our God is good, and he sustains us with his grace. You know, when you realize that he has given you gifts to serve him, that you are just merely a vessel to be used for his glory, and that, and that you get to take part in that. You get to be a partaker of, of the divine. 
And, and it's something that should move us more than it does in our life. It should excite us. We should be in awe and wonder constantly. We should be joyful. We should be at peace. We should have the fruits of the Spirit being exhibited in our life because of our relationship with the Father, because of our understanding uh, that we have humbled ourselves before Him, because He knows what's best for us. Not the world, not ourselves, not our government. God does. And, and you know, when I, when I look at this widow, I also understand the connection that's made to Christ. You know, this widow is giving all that she has to the poor. In just a few days of time within these chapters of Luke, Christ is going to give all that he has to pay for the sins of the world. The sacrifice that, that Jesus gives, bound up in love for his people. Grace. I mean, do you ever just sit and contemplate grace? The sacrifice that Jesus had to go through. What kind of encouragement does that give your heart, your mind, when you face chaotic situations in our world? You know, this world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? But our hope is in Christ, who is victorious. That's where our, our days, that's where our minds need to be focused. In a world that constantly wants to divide, that wants us to be hardened, the church needs to lead with humble hearts, set on the way of his spirit, keeping in step with his spirit, as Galatians says, boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus and the gospel message. You know, this, this picture of sacrifice here of the widow, it's that true model of sacrifice that Jesus is going to exhibit on the cross. It's a picture for us today to throw off all of the attention-seeking things that we might be doing, where we're trying to get the attention of the world. We need to be focused on Christ in the middle of all of this chaos because he is the way of the truth and the life. And we need to come back to that, not to the headlines, not to the conspiracy theories, not to the things that lead to fear, we don't fear because we have Christ. He is our rock. He is our strength. He is our salvation. He has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and strength. And it is his name that we praise each and every day. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we look at the corrections that you so graciously give people in the Bible, Lord, I thank you for how you have corrected me in my life, errors that I've had, different times that I have made things about me rather than you. Lord, you are faithful, you are patient. Lord, you are patient, and I thank you for that. And you meet us where we're at. You tell us the truth boldly. You tell us what we need to hear. So I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see you today. that your spirit would convict us of the things that we do in our life that are not godly. Lord, that we can contemplate if you were to say those things about us, what would the warnings be? 
Humble us, Lord. Bring us to our knees. Because we are too arrogant, too prideful, too selfish. We are too, conven- we are too comfortable. We are too convenient in our faith. Lord, as the times get harder, our faith is going to be tested. The things of this world, the things that we might hold security in, are going to fade. And Lord, I don't want to just fall back on you. I want you to be the one that is leading, that is guiding. Lord, you need to be our everything. So transform our hearts and minds. Help us to throw off the things of this world that are hindering us so that we can run our race well. Lord, we praise you for who you are and what you have done. I praise you that you don't put up with our junk. You call it out for what it is. Help us to do the same. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.